Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today by my good friend, great friend, my awesome friend, Woo! the lovely person who puts his podcast together, Sam Moses. Hello, hello. What a gift to be here. <laughs> well, well, well. Well, well, well. Is Look it, who's back. If it isn't me. Uh, <laughs> here I am. On t- <laughs> there you go. As usual. On just right on cue. On today's episode, we are going to be specifically chatting about when you should, you know, nix the analog chain. Yeah, like you spent, I don't know, countless thousands of dollars <laughs> on all that fancy, flashy, knobby, hot, knobby hot, both in looks and in temperature. It does get pretty warm. When you ditch all of that and you stay in the computer, you contemplate life and you're like, why did they buy all this gear in the first place? But it is when it is best for the mix for you to just, you know, we're not we're, we're not going to choose the analog today. We're going to really just stick in the box. So what do you think, Sam? I love this topic. As a fellow Great. person who started in the box, but now... And in the boxer? I'm in the boxer. I started in the boxer. And in the boxer. Yeah, and in the boxer. And yeah. uh, now I'm an out-of-the-boxer hybrider. And, uh, you know, but still, in the box is pretty dope. So let's, right let's chat about it. Uh, before, why don't you take us in a little bit of housekeeping? Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Hey, listener. Thanks so much for being here again. It's a great day for y'all to help uh, spread this episode. If you wouldn't mind, screenshot this episode or past one that you like, post it on Instagram, tag me, most mastering, tag Matt for the record mastering. We will share it. We will get to know you, which is really why we love housekeeping as we get to talk to y'all one-on-one, get to know our audience. We have great conversation. We learn things and we all make uh, better records together. So, if you wouldn't mind screenshotting this, tagging us, or we share, we'll holler, say thanks, and chat. And that's housekeeping. Woo! There you go. Sam, have you uh, ever been known to dabble in the digital realm? <laughs> Exclusively? <laughs> uh, dabble in the digital realm? Yes, I love dabbling in the digital realm. What generally... Well, what generally will keep you, you know, from... From venturing out of the out of the computer into the gear, what will really keep you <laughs> out of the digital realm? No, in the digital realm. What keeps me in the digital realm? Yeah, in the box. I just think that's such a fun phrase. Digital realm sounds very like fantasy. Um, I suppose we shouldn't say digital realm because there is digital gear. It's true. Which it's kind of interesting. There's a mastering facility right down the road. And from what I've seen, just on like pictures on their site, they go like out of the computer, but then all their processing is done on Weiss gear, which is all AES. And I've never seen any analog gear. And then I'm assuming they just go back into their converter and back into the computer. So probably saying dabbling in the digital realm is probably not the best but I didn't want to say dabbling in the box because that sounded dirty and I have that crossed out on my thing but when do you normally 
you know, stay in the computer and decide. I don't think conversion elsewhere is necessary. Uh, Did yeah. that joke just catch up with you? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was thinking about ending that one. <laughs> I'm so like I oh haven't crossed gosh. out of my thing, and I was like, "You're doing housekeeping, and I'm just over here like, oh shoot, all right, <laughs> like crossing out." All right, when do you normally stay in the computer? I normally stay in the computer when um, when something is very loud and compressed. Taking it out of the box will sometimes undo that and make it sound slower feeling or less energetic. Honestly, it can be too dense. Um, I will keep things in the box sometimes when something comes to me that has very much been pinned by a console. If someone's doing console or tape, there is something about the bottom end to me. I have a couple clients that still mix on like SSL or APIs and they pin it and sometimes they go down to tape with it and it's just flattened in a great way. Like there's still a little bit of transients going on, but it's pretty much just flat. Yeah. And I've noticed over the years, the biggest thing, the bottom end, kind of loses this glue sometimes when I take it out of the box or even if I try to be like, oh, the bottom end's so good, let me just get some more of that. It makes it just kind of feel less... To me, I notice it like transparency of the low end, which makes makes me think it's more of a top end thing, but there's something about the way the bottom end is glued in from a console or tape, and if it's pinned... When it gets to me, I will, you know, test it out kind of on what I'm thinking. And sometimes it just feels like I have undone the energy that was there. So for that, I'll stay in the box. Or if something is like heavily saturated already, I either have to do something super clean out of the box. So like the Alicia Expressor is super, super clean. Um, You know, something probably solid state and not add any more density or potential distortion to it, essentially via harmonics um, off tubes or something. Um, Sometimes I will stay in the box um, for extremely fast transients, like EDM type stuff, which I don't do a ton of, but a lot of pop stuff sometimes has a lot of four on the floor. And if the transients are really like quick, Sometimes out of the box will make them just feel fatter and the sustain on the transient will be feeling feel a bit longer and it gets like cluttery. So that sort of material I'll sometimes stay in the box with. And then sometimes um, clients just are so, and this is fine, they're just so in love with the way the mix sounds or the reference mix they get. And the reference mix was, you know, three layers of some kind of mix bus that somebody put on and it's really hard uh, to recreate that out of the box sometimes. Um, You know, if someone's using an imager, an MS, and then like a multiband type of thing um, or if someone's using, you know, a a preset on Ozone for their ref and they don't quite understand that it's, you know, doing four or five things under the hood, there's just, realistically, there's no way I can recreate that out of the box in theory. Yeah. Sometimes I can recreate what I'll call a better interpretation of the mix, you know, that's a bit louder and has the direction of the reference. But there are times where the client's like, we just love the ref and, you know, I'll have to figure out what happened, you know, what was used because the mix itself feels, you know, so different. 
And so at that stage, then I'll just recreate the mix chain and usually adjust that and then do my own thing, you know, to get us up to level of where it needs to be or adjust settings to make it kind of fly a bit more. So that'll be, um, you know, times I stay in the box. Um, sometimes I'll stay in the box if, um, if I have a client over the years, I'll say this is something I've learned to accept is you, you learn your clients and you learn which mm-hmm. clients love out of the box and you learn which clients love in the box and you learn which clients also are continual tweakers on their songs. So I have clients. We and, love you all. Yeah, we love you. Not a good or bad thing. It's <laughs> literally not a good or bad thing. It's learning. It's always learning what best serves the client, really. Like what best creates a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, and there are some clients that I know most likely based on our history, they're going to adjust the mix two or three, four times, you know, before we get it done because they like adjusting things once they hear the master. And, you know, I've learned that with some clients, you know, mastering does change everything, you know, regardless of how clean you are or if you try to change things. If you take one or two dB off of anything, even if you're in the box, you've just moved everything around. Like everything is more loud more often. So the balance is for sure different. And, you know, that can be really disorienting or the client will hear it and go, hey, I love the master, but now it doesn't feel like there's separation between the the percussive acoustic and the, you know, hi-hats. They feel like, you know, now they're just stuck together. Can I just go back and boost it, you know, 1dB or pan it differently? And I'll just say, great, yeah, no problem. And those are the sorts of clients that I just stay in the box with because out of the box would be honestly just way too much of a time suck. And it's not so much with those clients like the out of the box isn't really what they need from me. They need someone to like mm-hmm. be able to be flexible with them more than yeah. them chasing a sound that analog can give. So it just depends. That's part of like with clients, like some clients I know, like we need to stay in the box. I'll even, I mean, this is reality, label stuff. Sometimes I get a record Friday morning, they need Friday by 2 p.m. and we got to get it out of the door by Friday at 6 p.m. That is a situation where analog is not going to work. Like, I can't mm-hmm. take the risk in, in theory or the time because I know in that project, I'm going to get one or two mixes after I turn it in that they're going to adjust again because they're moving so fast and somebody probably didn't review everything. I've had records that I get all the mixes <laughs> that the artist hasn't even listened all the way through to the final versions, but they're like, just get it going, like, get it in the ballpark, send it when you can. And you kind of just understand what you know what that project is, and I think they understand that too. And it's really I don't feel like I'm to be honest like compromising because the greater uh, the greater goal for them is like we got to get this record out, <laughs> like otherwise we're missing release dates, which screws over hundreds of people who are involved in a project and in, at a label. Like it's a huge ripple effect. So. I had to eventually, as I got busier and busier and busier, and with super, super hard deadlines, it's like when I was analog, it was like, I can't, like, there's not enough hours in a day, like, to run everything, run the version, you know, run different formats, run, they want to turn it all in tonight. Um, you just 
physically probably don't have the time to hit the deadline. Um, if you need to run a vocal up version for them to review, plus a regular version for them to review, and an ADM version for Apple and whatever mm-hmm. else, and you need to run, you know, if you're doing a full length, you're running three, four hours of material. Like, there's your day just printing. <laughs> like, so it's, uh, you know, it's just something where you have to discern, you know, can I, do I have the capacity to really take this out of the box? Is that most important to them? You know, is that something we can do? And sometimes the answer is no. Like, you need to stay in the box. I need to be able to recall immediately and swap a file in and out within a minute, you know, and print it and send it right back. Um, is that good or bad? I'm not sure. But that's that's how the industry works it's sometimes. Kind of reality. Yeah, and... As much as um, probably young starter saying would be like, oh, you're just compromising. It's like, mm, not really. Like, there's so much going on uh, in this industry beyond just Sonics. If I only cared about Sonics, I wouldn't have a company. Like, I wouldn't have a business. If that was my main thing of like, let me make the record quote unquote sound the best, um, I would probably master a lot of records differently in my own bias, but that's not the gig. And if you don't learn that, you won't have a gig. Um, you know, like, um, as soon as you understand you're serving a client, not serving yourself, um, your business will will grow. And I think that's, you know, kind of what this discussion is like, sometimes staying in the box because of a time constraint that they've put on you that they are fine with, too. So if they say, yeah, we're good, like, let's get this done, we need it done, we know we're in a hurry, we got to get this done, then they understand what that means. They understand that mm-hmm. I'm going to be working extremely quick. They've accepted and trust that my ears and my experience are good enough to knock a record out in one pass, you know, and mm-hmm. that's just how it is. Like, you know, and I I do feel good about my first <coughs> pass on things, you know, nine times out of ten. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's there's a lot more going on besides just the mastering of music here and the records that we make and you got to understand that and that'll sometimes dictate then working in the box. Um, Sometimes if I'm traveling, I will be just in the box. Like, you know, I do take a vacation sometimes and I will be in the box and it just stays in the box. The projects that come in for that brief time where I'm working, they just get worked on in the box and I feel great about that. So I I know I've built I built my career on basically 5 years of being in the box. So it's not a uh, a foreign place for me to work and I love what I can do in the box and the tools have only gotten better. So um so I love in the box. There's a lot of reasons to stay in the box. And that is my opening long monologue. You said in the box a lot. In the box. In the box. My monologue is in the box. Literally. I guess technically, box. you know. Well, you're, yeah. Well, you got your whole little chain you got going Yeah, I mean, this is a very analog chain in theory. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was like, mine's kind of not in the box. But it ends uh, up there. It ends up in the box. It's not going to leave the box. I don't run our podcast through my mastering chain. <laughs> What? 160 hours of print time. Yeah, I don't do that for you guys. It stays in the box. I'd happily give you my mastering chain for my for our podcast. 
if you want it. I bet it's like I, it's old I school. Mean, yeah. Oh yeah, you're a waves guy. I you called it. It's a waves. I was in, I was initially thinking of your vocal chain, and I was like, your vocal chain is nuts. So yeah, the vocal chain's fun. The in the box podcast is uh, a C six from Waves and an old L three multi maximizer from Waves, and then a Logic EQ, and that's it. That's it. That's the mastering chain on the podcast. It's great. Loudest podcast on the airwaves. Still. Still is. All right. Back to the episode, Sam. Back to the episode. Do you want to answer the same question, Matt? <coughs> yeah. Great. Tell me about your in the box. I had like uh, a catch in my throat. Experience. I'm sorry for the coughing. Um, I would say that I really stay in the box if something... Um, I like to use the word like too inflated. So it's like... You know like, like the the nice harmonic vibe that the Oxford inflator gives. Yes. If people listen to this podcast who are mixed engineers and they use the inflator, it might be too inflated for me to use the inflator, but it also might be too, let's just say, harmonically rich for, like, anything outside of the computer to really be relevant. Um, It's actually one of the things where, like, I don't even know how you would make a plugin that would like just you know go like yo know, like a reverse inflator. It's like it's too harmonically rich. And it's like it's like just so much like coming at you, like very like, you know, zazzy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know like the word, zazzy. but it's like I I like you know what I'm talking I do about. Know like, what harmonically about. rich content and you're like, whoa. Um no plugin really exists that like de-inflates, and uh, I think that could be beneficial in the mastering realm. Some stuff is, and that's really what would really keep me in the computer. Yeah. That it's like something's like overly saturated. If something's like way too dense, and because it's like you are going to get like a little bit of color when you when you leave, and I don't know. People around the internets <coughs> will say like, oh, well, you're going to lose something if you go into the analog. And I think that there are chains that you could make where you're going to have no idea that you ever went to analog. <coughs> and so it's like, will you lose something? It's like, I'm sure you could potentially measure like the laws and you could potentially null it out. Mm-hmm. If you really wanted, but I mean, overall, it's like I could go out of the box pretty transparent. Um, I'd probably stick with the Hilo as opposed to the quant- the head quantum. Um, but it's like a bunch of like mass lick gear, like stuff that's like you you open up the inside and like you have like the transformer, the power transformer, the like the all powered like. You know, the lines and all, all the stuff that's like going on, on the inside in regards to power is like super separated and super on the other side of the chassis from like the actual stuff that's, you know, making the magic happen. Um, I mean, I would say like with me, it's like I could totally use like the foot control system, the Maslick MEA2, the Maslick MPL2, and the Hilo, and no one would know. But 
Um, it's like at some point, it's like you do reach like a diminishing return of like how much do you really want to use this as opposed to like what does the actual you know what does the actual song itself need? Mm-hmm. Um, so like I was saying, too dense, too inflated, too saturated, and then you have uh, I don't know if you said this. I heard something like this: um, a client who loves their mixes a lot, mm-hmm. but. They don't want anything returned back from the mastering engineer except for their mixes, but louder. Yeah. And then it kind of got me on this like weird mental, like, you know how guys can, uh, like, we can just like shift our brains into neutral mm-hmm. and we just kind of like coast in this like fo- fog of thought. <laughs> and have you ever been like this? Like, you're just like, whoa, where have I been for the past couple minutes? Yes. Or is this just me? No. I don't. I don't think this is me. I've talked with several guys, and I'm like, the nice thing about like you know being a guy is you can just shift into neutral. Right. <laughs> I did that, and I was kind of like went on this like mental tangent about limiters, uh-huh. and something that's kind of interesting is for the most part, I feel like limiters really react along the lines of like a linear plane, and when they like like the basic of basic limiters, um, you get into something like a Pro L two, and it's like okay, well. This is going to, on certain, you know, let's say like character, behaviorism settings, it's like you go into modern, in my opinion, it's going to more limit a little bit more of the top end and let some of the low end punch through and it's not going to really grab that. Um, Or it's like you could have that, what is it, that DMG limitless and you can tell it. It's like, hey, you know, I want like a bit more like oomph or on that newfangled limiter. It's like you can really kind of, you know... It's like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books. It's mm-hmm. like, to see what happens in the jungle, turn to page 89. And 89's <laughs> like a world where you let a lot of low-end through and you like boosted like the region the snare's in and you really like did a lot of transient shaping. And so it's like, outside of that and like the basic characteristic of what a limiter is, what's kind of interesting, and I guess I never thought of it this way, so it's like... Because, like, sometimes I'll get, like, a ref that doesn't really sound anything like the mix. But I know the mix engineer who sends something over that, like, I know exactly what they're using. And they'll they'll sometimes tell me what they're using. And I'm like, and I can do that. And I'm like, so what's going on here? Um, and it's, and, like, how am I able to shape some stuff differently? And, like, why does, like, a master sometimes sound differently when it goes through, you know, analog limiting versus, um, and by analog limiting, I more mean not like the better maker that you have, but more like the, like if you're clipping a converter, Mm -hmm. which I believe operates a bit more like a standard, like, you know, just like a brick wall kind of a thing, because it has to. It can't let certain content through, because if it does, it's going to be above digital zero, and now your DAW's angry. Um, and so it's like, say that you have like a perfectly linear, like signal, there's pink noise, and then you boost the bottom end of it. And then you raise every, like you raise your signal level and it's like, well, what's going to hit the limiter first? It's going to be that bottom end that you boosted and then it's going to be all shaved off. You're going to lose some of that bottom end and the vocal and the top end is going to be pretty loud because it's not as, it's not as crushed. And so it's like, 
in that same instance, it might not be of benefit to like want to say like hit I, I get it. It's like not everyone like hits gear super hard and whatnot, but it's like it may not be a benefit to really say use like out of the box compression because it's still working along the same way, only you're doing it with like to a lesser ratio and whatnot and with uh probably a lot slower of time constants. You might have like you might have fast attack release settings. Um but generally, in my opinion, your compressor is going to operate slower than a limiter is. Um, at least you'll generally, especially a digital one. And so, um, you might not want that type of shaping. And so, it's like my client who likes their mix and all they want it is like a little bit louder. It also kind of gets to the point to why, like with that example I gave, which may which is not completely sussed out in my own mind. I still need to probably refine it a good bit um, for me to even understand what I'm saying. But it's why you can't really just turn something up. And it's like, you know, like level aside, you can't just, I mean, if anyone, like, like, your, like, like what does it mean like your mix but louder? And I've found that in some cases it takes a bit of moving to actually have a master that is perceived as transparent and very uh, honest to the original mix Mm -hmm. because of what is hitting that brick wall, whether it be a converter, whether it be a limiter, whether it be a compressor. And so because whatever is hitting uh, essentially that, let's call it like that knee first, so the triggering point of like that compressive element um, essentially is going to dictate like any new characteristic that might come out from like that mix. And so like I've found that it's like, you know, sometimes even just saying, I like my mix but louder, you might end up doing more processing than you even thought you would need to, even if it's in the box or out of the box just to kind of have it be their mix but louder. And, you know, be, like, really true to the source. And, I mean, retaining dynamics, I feel like, is an art in and of itself. And so that might be another reason you completely stay in the box. And, I mean, with, like, modern... What's it called? What's OTT called? Uh, ba, 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 ba. Help me out here, bud. OTT? What is OTT called? What is that? The up- Not a compressor. Like upward expansion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have like like an expander, so something that's going to kind of like re-add life or maybe emphasize dynamics like after like a little bit of squashing has happened. Um, it's uh, sometimes that is way better to have happened in the box than out of the box. Um, anyway, um, I'm kind of reading my notes. Hitting a limiter plane differently. Blah, blah, blah. All right, let's go here. Um, so we, we kind of talked about, like, okay, when to stay in the box. I think we kind of, like, covered a bit of that. Um, we won't really do, like, how much we're necessarily in the box, but I would say since neither of us are, you know, not foreign to the topic, do you want to go over, 
like in the box setups that we really like and kind of like chains that we've really enjoyed using. Yeah, that's great. Um, for me in the box chains that I really like, um, if I'm doing a master in the box, it probably looks something like potentially R base at the start, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, R base to me just adds some density and low end. And usually most people I tell R base about, they usually just tell me, oh, it just sounds so muddy. But you just have to use your ears and dial it in, dial it back. Or sometimes I can run it in parallel so I can just blend it if I do it as a bus and blend it back in, which is a whole other thing. Um, but sometimes R base will be at the front. If I'm doing anything bottom end, I like to do it up front usually um, because it usually takes up the most headroom. So I want to get the bottom end in first before I start limiting or anything. And then there's a variety of things after that. Uh, I talked about Oxford limiter, which I don't use the limiting function. I just use the enhance, which is just like if I need vocals to pop or I need it to be brighter, um, that little fader slider can make everything just come forward a bit. Oxford uh, inflator, Matt's already talked about it, but it inflates. Um, It can be too much of a good thing. Uh, very quickly for me, especially since if I do use R base, I probably won't use Oxford Inflator. Inflator is really to me like a <laughs> bottom end slash low mids density adder, and sometimes it's just too much. Those are just some options. Um, I pretty much only limit, don't ever compress. Something I realized a few years ago. We talk, I talk about like compression and mastering, but I actually am just always limiting. <laughs> so uh, limiters. I have so many in-the-box limiters, and they all sound different. Um, my favorites are Tokyo Dawn still. I've been talking about that for years. Um, using that in the clipper and limiter function. Dialing that into taste um, is a limiter I like. I do my stack, which I've talked about, so that would be a limit EQ, usually into a limiter. Um, Tokyo Dawn's great. Uh, Newfangled, Matt and I have talked about that a bit. That one's really fun. It's kind of complicated um, to use, I think, right out of the gate. So a lot of people don't use it. Mm-hmm. But if you mess around with the transients um, that the EQ it offers and within the limiting, it's pretty incredible what you can pull off. And it is so, so, so clean on acoustic-type material. It's my favorite limiter for... Very dynamic music. Um, I can take off five, six, seven dB, and it's still not distort. And for super dynamic material, that's what you need sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. I I will not take that amount off with any other limiter I own in the box or out of the box. There is no other limiter I can push as hard as Newfangled. I I do notice with Newfangled when I push it that hard. You can tell it starts to give up some bottom end to get there, but on like acoustics type stuff, they've already probably rolled a bunch of the bottom end off um, of like the sub sub land. So it really doesn't matter for that material. You can get really clean, loud, good loudness with that. Um, so that's one of my new favorites last year here. Um, Ozone 11 is terrific. Um, the things they added that I'll say. Matt and I got to be part of the the beta testing for that, and 
I like to think some of our ideas genuinely ended up there with uh, the upward compression they added. Um, you know, really trying to do a stack in the maximizer um, between the upward compression, the clipping, and the limiter. Um, you basically have three things you can stack within there, which is pretty cool. Um, so those are all pretty great sounding. EQ, huge fan of Logic EQ. <laughs> Still, it's on almost every song I do. Um, but other EQs I really like, the in-the-box Pultex from Waves, super great still. I am a very, very big fan of the V series from Waves, which I text Matt about all the time. It is an ancient series oh, of that plugins. that EQ? Yeah, but it's, ne- it's their Neve modeling, their original Neve emulation. Yeah. And the VQ3 and the VQ4 um, are just some of my favorite in-the-box EQs and just tone adders. Um, I don't know what or how that one works, but those are some of my go-to EQs in the box, have been for years. Um, But I just love them. I love the way they sound. I love the shelving on it um, that they offer. So those are some of the go-to EQs. And um, then everything still ends for the most part. Fab filter limiter is just catching those very small transient overs as a peak limiter. Um, I still think Fab Filter as peak limiter, uh, as true peak, sorry, true peak, is it still gets the job done. It doesn't let anything slide by, especially when I'm slamming stuff. Um, so that just sits there at the end and um, you know catches some things. But that's uh, those are the things I use a ton, like all the time. Uh, in the box, there are you know, random occasions where I might need to do some mid-side or something. It's more like client requests where they might say, hey, can you make it wider or basier this? Or sometimes clients will tell me, hey, I'd like you to use multi-band or dynamic EQ here, here, and here. Or I dropped into the DAW and did this. And when they do that, I just say, great. I just pull up the same plugin or pull up an equivalent do it, send it back, and it's great. If they have a super, super, super specific vision they want me to somehow implement into the chain based on where we've gone already, um, then that's fine. It's great. Makes the job really easy. And clients that know what they want are, honestly, in my experience at this stage, great clients for the most part. So that's always welcomed. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the in the box. Sometimes... I'll put reverb on things, which we've talked about that. <laughs> but that's an in-the-box thing, a move. Um, and I'll blend that in and out if a song feels very, like, 2D. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's... Those are, like, the main things. The main thing in the box is always going to be some sort of low-end thing, because I'm obsessed with low-end. And then it's a stack of probably EQ limit, <laughs> EQ limit. But that final limiter is just the fat filter not really taking anything off. So um, stages of limiting an EQ to me are how I build up the really big full speaker sound. Um, and that's how I do it. What about you, Matt? What's your in-the-box chain? Spill the beans. Do you ever have to <laughs> dabble with reverb at all? Yeah, with reverb, I, yeah. I will toss the reverb on... It's mainly like songs that feel 2D, as I was mentioning, like 
If I do, it's just logic stock room reverb. Like it's literally hmm. the first default that pops up when you open up Logic's reverb. And I just crank the wet all the way to zero or 1%. And then sometimes I'll automate it in courses and then turn it all the way off in verses. But that's not like very common. I probably do mm-hmm. it like once every couple of weeks. And it's amazing what it can do. when If a song is super, super smashed and just feels flat as can be, it may sound really good still, but it just feels like stuck in one parallel, like one just plane of sound. It's amazing what a little bit of that can do to just open it back up and make everything feel a bit more. It, it creates movement. I think kind of what you're saying, like you can make... If you want to make a really loud song feel like it has dynamics, you've got to create some sort of movement. And that doesn't mean you have to like make it dynamic. You just have to have something shifting through the song to make it feel like it's doing something different from section to section. Um, well, you have to like, because typically like reverb is like a reactionary kind of thing of like, yeah, whoa, what's going on here? Right. And it's like, you know, like you're kind of like sitting something into place. And it's like, well, you can only really be dynamic if, like, you know, you're moving against something. And it's like, if there's, if there's nothing really, like, there to, like, emphasize, like, the space that you are being dynamic in, yeah. then you kind of lose, like, the spatial element of, in fact, being dynamic. That is a very good way of thinking about it. Yeah, that's great. I don't know if you ever saw this movie. Did you ever see the movie like with like it was like Leonardo DiCaprio? It was The Aviator, where he was Howard yes, Hughes. I saw that. Like when he was like doing whatever. I, I mean, I never saw this film, but that like he was like filming in the movie, but it was like that like fighter pilot film, and he like hired that meteorologist because he wanted clouds in the background for like the the airplane dogfights for like the World War One, World War Two, whatever, dogfights. And he's like, yeah, without the clouds, it just looks like, you know, they're moving against a solid plane. And so waiting for clouds as like, I mean, and it kind of like really kind of tapped into uh, his OCD nature of, you know, wanting something to be perfect. And it's like, yeah, we're going to wait for clouds so that we are able to actively show the movement so that there is a dynamic element that, like what is moving is like showing a relative speed. And so, or elsewise, it's just, you know, on a flat plane. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like what I think of with reverb. Need more clouds. That's a great way to think about it. I don't know. That's why I think about it. No, it's great. <laughs> so okay. I can get into my stuff. Yeah, get into your stuff. <laughs> get into your stuff, man. <laughs> I'll get into my stuff. Um, generally, if I need movement and... It's like if I'm staying in the box for the sake of like if something's too saturated or too like harmonically zazzy, um, I won't do this um, because this adds color. But I really like movement. I really like um, like I, I, I like when something has like a bit of a groove. And I don't know. I'm always someone that. I love tape machines. If anyone knows me, I love tape machines, but they're not always great for everything. I don't like every tape machine. Um, I have certain ones that I do like. And if I need something to move, 
uh, you generally have a lot of fun options with them, with like different tape flavors and different uh, tape speed, like like speed of the machine. And it's, uh, I mean, also it's like some of them give you the option to like play around on the back end of the tape machine. And so it's like my two real go-tos, I mean, if you listen to these episodes before, you probably heard it, is uh, the UAD ATR-102. I absolutely love it. And I actually use the, <clears throat> this is once again, if it's appropriate for the mix, um, once again, if something's too harmonically uh, rich, this will just take it into like another dimension of that. Um, I like one thing that's nice about that about the ATR one hundred two is it has the EQ on it, like the the top end and the low end, and so you can actually use the top end as a bit of like a deesser, or like another way to approach deessing isn't to deess, but it's to change the tonal characteristics of what actually like is the top end in that mix. And like those little tiny knobs at the top for the for the high end, it's pretty darn tasty. And sometimes that is like a nice trick and sometimes it does rescue some things and um that might need rescued and other times it's just not the right tool. Um another one that I really like is the um the tape by Softube, and with that, I mean, they have like a, like a high kind of like cut kind of deal going on. Um, it's not as nice and analog sounding as the ATR one hundred two, but I do like that. The one thing I do really like about that um, the Softube one is, and this is going to sound really weird, but it's like another tape machine thing. Is it has a um, this, and I think the ATR one or two might have it. I think it does have it, but I really use it on the soft tube one. Is it has a crossfeed function, and it's like you're not like jamming it up to like fifty percent. It's like maybe you're just like dialing it in a scotch. Like if something's just like too polarizing to the point to where it's like we need like a little bit of like you know inter movement. I have no problem like dialing up like one or two percent on like the crossfeed just because it's like tape machines. It's like you're you're literally reading like like imprints like with uh, like 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 magnetic recordings on magnetic tape with magnets. And so you like you're going to naturally have like a touch of crossfeed potentially. Um I'm sure you can get it like perfectly clean. I don't know. But um, I like those knobs and it's kind of fun to mess with. Once again, if something's overly harmonically crazy or too dense or whatnot, <clears throat> those will not work in the slightest. Uh, once again, it's like with the inflator. I absolutely love that. Um, I actually more use it for like the mids and the high mids as opposed to anything with the low end. Um I really enjoy that. Ozone 11 has been a really fun go-to. Um, ever since we got a, we were lucky enough to beta it and, uh, you know, just being able to, you know, continue our mastering journey with it. That's been really fun. I mean, I was using, like, the Clarity module today, just kind of cleaning up something that was, like, it was a mix that was a little too dense. Uh, the mix didn't stay in the box just because the Clarity module was able to, you know, remove a lot of the, um, a little bit of the haze, and I mean, it was particularly 
Wonderful. And that, that was really what I used. Um, as far as like a mid-side EQ, I love the EQ on Ozone. Um, that or let's say like Fab Filter. I love the, I think it's called the Pro-Q. Um, I absolutely love that. Using it in like mid-side and everything, like you have these bands that change color and have these little like bubbles next to them and stuff like that about like what's mid, what's side. And I think my brain is, I don't know. It doesn't really comprehend that kind of stuff well. And so I appreciate how Ozone uh, separates it. So I'll typically do all that like kind of fancy mishmash over there. But if you need like something that's just like ridiculously clean, I'm a uh, I'm a really big FabFilter Pro Q fan. Ozone's pretty clean. Um, it's gotten really really clean over the years. I also it's like like I I remember there's this vocal like back in the spring of last year, and it had like a little bit of like Kermit the Frog frequency <laughs> kind of stuff going on. And so some stuff that I like to do with like a dynamic EQ, and this was something where like Ozone 11 just really like proved its salt during like the beta phase to me, is when you could isolate out uh, for the whole instance, they call it like the mothership, but for the full instance of using that Ozone, like putting it onto vocal and then going into the dynamic EQ, and I'll like scoot, I'll find that like frequency and I'll like pull it down with the dynamic EQ. But then what I do is I always will generally say, okay, song, if you want this stuff back, I'm going to make you work for it. So it's natively down. So Kermit the Frog is not like Kermit the Frog here, <laughs> but it's like act like I make it so that like even though it's a scoop. It is act like the vocal as it digs in. I'm allowing it that dynamic EQ to pull back up. So essentially, I'm making in that instance the vocal work for that part back because it's like I don't want to skip out on mids because those mids on a vocal are what's going to give, especially that male vocal is what's going to give it body. And you don't really want like a scooped vocal feel, but you don't want the Kermit the Frog here. So I mean, that's also nice on Ozone Eleven. Um, Something I like if I'm in the box is, uh, and these aren't like everything I use on everything. It just, you know, like like flavors of the month, perhaps. Um, uh, plug-in de jour, I suppose. Um, I, I always got like, when I was like, I don't know, younger, I always got de jour and like a la mode mixed up, <laughs> which would be hilarious in this instance. Um, but uh, what's it called? That Ash plugin by Acoustica, that's who it is. Um, their plugins are very CPU intensive. <coughs> um, but the Ash plugin, you know, it's the like the Lavery converter. And so it's like if you wanted like a little bit of that like converter flavor and you were gonna clip a converter and want that kind of feel. I loved Ash. I think it's like platinum or something like that. It's the preset that I really enjoy using. Um, I mean, I love using Newfangled on my, I'm like in the process of like switching out computers and stuff. It's very exciting times here. Um, I love the, um, I love Newfangled, but I have a sneaking suspicion that there's some oversampling that's happening natively that isn't really mentioned in the manual. And it's just like such, <coughs> excuse me, it's such a CPU hog yeah. that 
Um, I just have a feeling that's what's happening. And because, like, nothing that it's doing is overly groundbreaking. It's just like some really good stuff all being used in a really sonically gorgeous manner. Yeah. Um, and the only thing I can figure that just cranks the CPU is it being like heavy oversampling. Um, would also use, what is this, the Amac Mastering Compressor. I really like this if like I need to ever like get some level. As you increase the threshold, the like the output will also increase. And I it doesn't really do it in a gross way. It does it in a nice, pleasing way. And I really just particularly like how that sounds, especially if I need like a little bit of like fast compression. Um as far as like EQs, I love the plugin alliance, the NIF Soma that they have. I was using that the other day just to bring some body. Um, to two songs on a rock record. I was doing like a 13-song like archival record from 2003, 2006. And it's like these two just, they, they weren't, they were separate mixes. They weren't sitting in the rest of the album all that well. It just was a different mixer. Great mixes, like probably some of the best mixes on the record, but they just needed a little bit more body. And just the the mid-range on the Nif Soma was gorgeous. Um I love everything that Weiss is doing with SoftTube. I really want to try the Tube Tech stuff. I never bought it during Black Friday or Christmas or anything, but I really want to try that, uh, what are we calling that, that multiband compressor. It, that just seems like a really neat way to get things moving. Mm-hmm. There's one for sale that my friend has been sending me. It's I think it's in Germany, and it was like $3,500, like, ridiculous like a lot of money but like ridiculously inexpensive for what that piece normally goes for and i think they're like perpetually on back order (coughs) but i don't really want to be any more hot in this room than i need to be um so i want to try that plug-in um let's see i love uad spark i really don't like the satellite i have this goofy thing where I think that the Spark plugins sound better than the satellite plugins. And I'm sure someone at UAD will eventually hear this and they'll be like, you're wrong. But (laughs) until then, I'm going to keep on saying that. And I'll say this on this part. The Spark Massive Passive, which if you have like, if you own the Massive Passive in UAD, then they just released the Massive Passive a few weeks ago. It sounds pretty darn close. Like you can switch between mastering and mix versions. It's really close. I think I still like the Pulsar Massive more. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to say the vibe is more accurate, but it's. um, I really like how you can like drive going into it where you can't do that on the Massive Passive, and the drive on it is just really nice. Mm. But. I like the math, the massive passive in Spark and the Capitol Hills mastering compressor. They're always like, "Oh, well, it's the same because uh, the guy with that was doing Magic Death Eye, I think Ian Fitcheck. I, I can't remember his last name. I'm sorry, Ian. I don't know you. I don't know. Why I'm apologizing to you, um, but sorry. Um, everyone's like, "Oh, well, I got the Magic Death Eye plug-in. I'm not going to buy this. I'm telling you right now, the drive function on the output of that compressor is worth the price of admission alone. The compressor is great, yeah, sure. <laughs> but the drive and what the drive does, it's kind of like a more tubey Oxford limiter. 
um, like how you kind of get that that top end, but mm-hmm. kind of like imagine like kind of like a mid field kind of like bloom, and it's it's kind of nice. It can be too much. It can get too zazzy too quick. Um, so anything like two more anything fab filter i love i love the eq the compressor is really nice i love how it has that range setting so you can just say i am only going to compress by 0.35 db and that's it and using it as like i use that as a deesser over the deesser i'm not a fan of their deesser but that i love their reverb the reverb you can literally build your own room and then dial it in as wet as you want and it's like it might be 2% i've done up to 8% with it and i've gotten away with it um, and it's delicious. I do have an eye on time, Sam. Great. We will be wrapping after this next one, unless you have something else to say. Um, my last one, I love the DMG Limitless. It's probably right now my go-to limiter. It is super clean, and it's like if you ever have like a revision of like, oh, I think we need a little bit more in this frequency range. Okay, cool, sweet. I have a little EQ right here where I can do that. It's got a clipper on board. And the one thing I'll say with it over the FabFilter Pro 2 is the FabFilter, even with ISP turned on on the exact same settings, on my head quantum, the FabFilter Pro 2 will still trigger um, the red lights on the Cranesong head. Um, but the DMG Limitless exact same settings will not trigger it. Very and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that, you know, intersample peaks exist on one versus the other. I just have made that note mentally, and I just prefer it. Um, and I just, I just love how clean it is. Um, it's also a like you know, choose your own adventure with its own <laughs> little settings. Samuel, would you like to add anything else? No, I'm good. Sweet. If you have listened this far, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind telling Sam, thank you for making these episodes sound so awesome. I would appreciate it. Um, I love how these episodes sound and your thanks would just be an extension of my thanks and I would appreciate that. If you wouldn't mind um, liking this podcast, this episode, leaving us a comment on Apple Podcasts. I think that's where I would like that. Um, <laughs> I would really appreciate I like it. I think, I think it's where I, I would like, like, like that's that. That's where I want it, yeah. That would be great, thanks. Yeah, okay. um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind doing that, I would appreciate it. Sam would appreciate it. Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For The Record Mastering. We'd both love to chat with you or take your record across the line or whatever you need. Um, We're kind of here for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see what else. I think we're done. Is that it? That's it. That might be it. Sweet. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're you're, uh, having, have a darn good one. And uh, yeah, cue the music. Cue it.